Hey leaders, Carrie here. And on the final episode of the year, which is not this one, but next week, don't miss it. 2020 has been an extremely difficult year. And on the final episode of the year, you're going to hear how you can get free Starbucks on us. And my team wanted to really just step out and bless you. So they came up with this idea to do a big giveaway. <laughs> and that is we're going to be giving you free Starbucks all week a $500 Amazon gift card, a $100 Starbucks gift card, in addition to all the free Starbucks, and uh, a Yeti tumbler that my team designed and five of my favorite leadership books. Why? Because everybody hates 2020. That's why. Okay. We actually, you can head on over the final week of the year to everybodyhates2020.com uh, to register to get all of this stuff and follow my social account. We'll have full details next week, but we love you. We're behind you. And uh, so all you have to do next week is head on over to Everybody Hates 2020. That's everybodyhates2020.com. Now, here is this week's episode. Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 386 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Really excited for today's conversation. We have Jeff and Tara Matson, a couple of leaders who are new to me, but they wrote a fascinating book on shrinking the integrity gap. And that's what we talk about. Like, I don't know about you. <laughs> Nobody I know sets out to fail morally or like destroy their life or uh, you know, you just don't do it. So how does that happen? And and we go there. We go there. They both have a lot of insight. It's a fascinating conversation. Today's episode is brought to you by Push Pay and Church Community Builder, who combine to bring you church stack. You can learn more by going to pushpay.com forward slash carry and increase connection and encourage giving. And by the Dwell app. The Dwell app is an audio Bible app which you can get today by going to dwellapp.io forward slash carry. You can get a 20% off discount on an annual or lifetime subscription. So Jeff and Tara, um, she is a therapist and he is a coach and they're both involved in ministry. Um, we talk about how to tell if you're heading for a moral failure, signs of a narcissistic leader. That was just fascinating to me. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit of a problem. I had an episode with Erwin McManus a couple of years ago, we'll link to in the show notes that uh, talked about narcissism and leadership and how platform can be a trap for young leaders. This is all stuff that's really close to my heart in light of not only, you know, the headlines, but just the damage it does to people, to congregations, to ministry, to families, to to dreams that, that people had for themselves and, and others. So, I'm going to talk about the integrity gap in leadership. Jeff and Tara advocate for healthy leadership, and they are founders of the Living Wholehearted Podcast and the visionaries behind the global movement Courageous Girls. They also offer wholehearted leadership cohorts at livingwholehearted.com. Jeff's an executive leadership coach. Tara is a licensed therapist, and they're raising two daughters in Oregon. Uh, the book is called Shrinking the Integrity Gap, if you're interested, by the way. And uh, thanks to our partners who make this all possible. To PushPay and Community Builder, you can increase your connection and momentum in your ministry with one powerful suite 
that will help you encourage giving, nurture community, and share your message all at the same time. That's what Church Stack is, and it brings all of the digital tools you need together for a seamless connected experience. You can go to pushpay.com forward slash carry to learn more. And how's your stress level? I mean, if you want to shrink your integrity gap, you're going to have to get better at listening to yourself. And you know, the Dwell app can help with that. Dwell is an audio Bible app. It's got a very simple mission to help you get in the Word and stay in the Word. They've got inspiring voices, Bible translations, original music. And some of the features of the app include listening plans, playlist, and dwell mode. And you can use that to meditate, memorize, and pray while listening to Scripture. And they've even got a sleep timer built in. So it makes a great gift. So you can skip the wrapping and bless someone with the gift of uh, Dwell this holiday season. So you can go to dwellapp.io forward slash carry and get 20% off an annual or lifetime subscription. So, um, hey, leaders, you've almost made it through 2020. Isn't that incredible? Uh, We have a pretty powerful 2021 lined up for you and uh, really want to help you bring the best. We're going to do a few little fun things for you as well along the way. So just want to let you know, Thanks for hanging in with us. We are trying to hang in for you, and we're going to get a incredible kickoff to 2021 going in. I'll tell you about that at the end. And I also want to talk to you about how to build your integrity. So I'll do that in the what I'm thinking about. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff and Tara Matson. Jeff and Tara, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks so much, Gary. Yeah, it's good to be with you. So we live in an age where I, I don't know whether you would agree with us or not, but I feel like the integrity gap is about as wide as it's ever been. We have pastors and business leaders and politicians falling all the time. And it always seems to be the same script. You ever notice that? It's like sex, money, or power. Uh, and sometimes it gets a little more creative than that. But um, why can't we seem to solve this one in your view? Well, that is honestly comes down to the bottom line of we're sinners, right? Um, And we tend to, as leaders, sometimes lose touch with our own humanity and forget um, what even brought us into um, our journey of leadership. And often it's from a place of pain. And when we haven't processed or resolved that, it's going to leak at some point. And so just the temptations of leadership pull at all of those things you were just talking about, sex, power, money. Uh, So, Sadly, it is the same script over and over, and we're going to talk about some of those roots today and what drives that. And our hope is that we can shift that um, trajectory. Maybe we can have a new generation of leaders that are actually living with integrity. Yeah, it won't happen by accident. It's going to happen with intention. It's going to happen through mentors. And that's the only way to reach this now largest generation um, before us of emerging leaders and leaders that are already in uh, power and influence and exerting that in corporations, in ministry settings, everywhere. We need people um, that are walking the talk and that doesn't mean perfection to come alongside. And, and that's what we're about. We're trying to trying to be a, make a dent in that mm-hmm. within the, our little corner and with our little influence, whatever God has in mind for us. So Jeff, you do some executive coaching. Tara, you are a, a licensed therapist, a counselor, and you come at it from slightly different viewpoints, but or not viewpoints, but different perspectives, I guess you could say. How does a leader know that he or she has an integrity gap? Like I've, I've heard over the years, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it's like, if you're the person who says, oh, I would never have an affair, you're, you're in danger um, how do you, like, is that true? Like, how do I even, how would I know I have an integrity? It's a great gap? question. 
Well, let me just, let's define it really quick. I mean, there's so many books mm-hmm. about integrity and what, what do we, what do we look at it like? Integrity is where we say that we say all of our, our heart, our mind, our soul, our relationships are hopefully moving in a singular and from our perspective, uh, a God oriented direction, right? It's not perfect, yeah. but it's, it's, and it's not an event. You know, it's not, you don't just go to a conference and say, I'm now going to start living with integrity or it's, or, or wear a t-shirt, right? No, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. The reality is that it's a set of choices that we make every day, all day long over the course of our life. And there's ebbs and flows in that. So, and, and who, who has done that perfectly? Only Jesus, right? Every one of us has an integrity gap. The gap is the distance between the values that we that we preach, things that we say we're about, what we believe, and how we live, and what we're what's important to us, and the values we actually live in practice. And there's a gap between there. An example might just be, I might say, of course I love my wife. I'd take a bullet for her, right? Any any husband any husband that loves his wife would say something like that. So there's there's what yeah. I'm espousing. There's what I'm saying, and yet I might also say at the same time, I just can't stop yelling at her. <laughs> And now I've got this gap, and so what is this, right? And, and it's a noble pursuit, we say, to shrink that baby down as much as possible in this life, no matter what worldview you hold. Mm-hmm. But especially if you are a follower of Christ, you're naming that as something you value and espouse. It is a noble pursuit to shrink that down. We can't do that on our own. We have to do that in relationship with Him and with each other. And I'd say mm-hmm. those warning signs is when we're minimizing that, right? When we're saying... Um, yeah, so what? I yell at my wife once in a while. We're all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, that's true. But can I be honest about the fact that that isn't the God's best for me? Not in shame and guilt, but in a true sense of humility to say, um, that isn't who I want to be. And that's not how I want to treat my wife. And so those are the places of vulnerability is when we dismiss it, we ignore it. And over time, it gets louder and bigger. When people, there's a lot of warning signs that we'll talk about more, and we talk about 10 particular symptoms. They're not exhaustive, but there are red flags for us to say, hey, we're kind of in danger if we're not addressing um, this. And we wrote the book in a way that we could all kind of look at it and be able to go through, where am I struggling right here, right now in my life, in my leadership? Um, And then I can hone in on that chapter for a season. Yeah, okay. I would like to go through the 10 signs because I think that'll be interesting. But let me ask you a question first. So a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are in a public role. You're either the pastor at a church. It could be a small church, still public role, you know, or a larger church. Lots of large megachurch pastors listen to this, executive CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs, business owners. So we all kind of have a public role. We're leaders, right? It's a leadership podcast. Does that put extra pressure on the integrity gap? Does that make it harder? Any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I can start. I'll just say it does. Absolutely. I mean, the role, the role of leadership, yeah. period, is traumatic in and of itself. <laughs> just based- yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter whether you have a public profile and or the not. The more it's influence hard. that you have, the obvious, obviously that that can increase in terms of just how, mm-hmm. how you're navigating the, the, the challenges that exist there. So. For sure. Um, as leaders, we say that if you have a following, you're a leader. So yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. If you're a mega church mm-hmm. pastor, or if you're a Fortune uh, 500 CEO, or um, you're just, you happen to be a parent that works at Starbucks, but you're parenting, you're, you're a leader. If you have a following, that's the fact. Mm-hmm. And how you live and lead matters to everyone in your wake, whether you have one person in your wake or thousands. 
we take that seriously. We think that we think that Christ takes that seriously. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you're in a public role that's not uh, vocational ministry, say you're a business leader, he, God wants us to take that seriously in the stewardship yeah. of every resource yeah. that He's given to us, just like He would the church, capital uh, capital C or lowercase C. Yeah, and I think the struggle with the more um, influence we have is we lose sight of who we are as Jeff and Tara. We we start to believe our own press and the voices uh, become, you know, multiplied. Um, Everybody critiques us as a leader, right? The more public you are, the more people think they have a right to tell you who you should be, who you shouldn't be. Um, And so learning to live with the voice of one and a few of your safe people is a discipline that is required to make it the the long haul of leadership. Um, And it's really hard and and we're all vulnerable to it. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, because I've I've found like leadership is complicated. So your day job is is not easy. You're solving problems that you get paid to solve and that often other people can't solve. So, you know, welcome to leadership. And then you're right. As things get bigger, it feels like it feels like there's an I have found that I've had to actively resist um, not wanting to be vulnerable. In other words, it was easy when I was starting out and things were really small to go, hey, I messed up yesterday or here's what I did. And there's this Lisa Turkerst and I have talked about this on this podcast before, but there's almost a pressure to be the master to say, hey, 15 years ago, I struggled with X, but now I don't have any problems. Right. And and that's, first of all, not true. And like, is there a pressure the bigger things get? to pretend that things are better? Like, is that normal? What what, what do you guys find? Yeah, I, I'll just say that um, yeah. as humans, we have a tendency for hero worship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're all, this is a thing, <laughs> this is a tendency, yeah. right? So leaders can can know that. And I'm not saying every leader is knowledgeable of or thinking about that and likes that or wants that or uses that in an appropriate way. But the, the fact is, is, is that as you grow in influence and you have more people looking to you um, and they the tendency is to be placed on a pedestal and then as tara indicated that we are vulnerable as leaders because we're human and we long all of us to be known and to know others um to like that too much and to begin to start believing our own press and isolating and isolating why because we need to keep up that image that everyone else that we're working to manage that people have about us and that then increases pressure it's just one of the vulnerabilities that we're yeah, social media does not make that no, easier, does it? Absolutely not. And it's been one of the beasts that we've had to, you know, be able to rein in in our own health and wholeness as leaders ourselves. So yeah. it's it's one of the things mm. that we need to consider as leaders is the the dual relationships, particularly in the church as well. Because when when you've got a smaller circle, um, you can kind of delegate your different hats a little bit more. But all of a sudden now, you know, you are best friends. Now you're colleagues. Now you're the boss. Now you're, um, you know, the world leader systemically. And and it's hard to find those safe people the larger your wake of influence is. And so the expectations get pretty high. And I would say the systemic problem is is in the followers, too. As, uh, followers put too much pressure on leaders to um, mm. lose sight of their own mm. humanity as well. Yep. Yeah, just to uh, confess, and I want to come back to some of what you said in a little bit, but um, yeah, just to be totally transparent, my wife and I were doing a live Q&A the other night on Zoom, and I was helping her with it, and like we went in a half hour early, and it wasn't set up the way I wanted, so we almost had like this little (laughs) argument before we were doing a marriage seminar, and I'm like, wow, this is like, 
this is not cool. <laughs> and, uh, but it was all me, you know, and I'm like, ah, I thought I had this vision of how it was going to go. And then I didn't like the way that I was approaching things. And I'm like, Egh. how do you, because have, did I hear that you were in practice? Did uh-huh. you say 15 years? Okay. So you would have a little bit of a pre-digital practice. A lot of sociologists, psychologists would say around 2012, 2013, that's when things really started to take off. So you started 2005-ish. Was there a difference you saw 15 years ago from what you see now in the pressure? Like, did social media change it a little bit? Yes, drastically, actually. Um, Just the overwhelming sense of what Jeff's calling the image. People started getting an idea of their brand, right? What's my brand? Is this this in line with how I want to present myself to the world? So now, I mean, I'll confess my own control issues. I'm just like, hey, Jeff, you can't wear that because it doesn't mesh with our brand. You know, like... Those are issues that <laughs> couples face when you're going to some church on Sunday morning and you have to get over oh, with. Right. Jeff's like, let me dress. You're so, off brand. you're so off brand on Sunday. You know yes, that, Jeff? When like, it comes totally. to a larger podcast or again, a more public role, there's just a lot of that complexity that goes on inside our own heads. But I would say the greatest pull has been also on our time. Yeah. It's been the mm-hmm. biggest time sucker mm-hmm. for leaders, mm-hmm. um, just in turning into another addiction and a way to avoid our inner life and our relationships that matter mm-hmm. most to us. And what it does to the neurobiology, right? We've seen, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not privy to Tara's counseling sessions over all those 15 years, sure. but, but I could sure. hear her come and say, it's just amazing to me. And over, even just as the spouse, just to recall conversations that we had about just what she was seeing about how people were coming in numbed out on the early end of the digital invasion, if you will, we call it. Right. It's like, so, um, you know, what it was doing to a leader's brain, right. And people bringing their technology, their devices into a counseling session and being on them and having her as a counselor, having to actually have them put, put the devices (laughs) down. Like we, can you put that away? We're here to talk about your social media addiction. Right. Can you but put we that think away? we're too important yeah. sometimes, right? Yeah. The, that's part of the issues as leaders. Like the world can't go on wow. without us. Wow. And, the, yeah. um, and that, we can talk about that more in a little bit, but that is part of that dynamic with the. I just got to answer this text. Sorry, guys. I, I'll, I'll just be back into, right? That's that a, kind of dynamic. Just the dopamine hits that people were even at, on the early front of it and where they are now, it's just, it's, it's, it's Off overwhelming. It's, it's, it's so, so the majority of people we see both in the, the counseling space, but also in the coaching, in coaching organizational coaching. development, business side of things. Right. And you can get away with a few things in business environments. And there's some protocols that are in place in certain environments that don't allow for those kind of interruptions, but it just depends on the culture of the org. Right. You, you uh, talked about some signs. Um, feel free to walk us through all 10 or pick some of the big ones. Like I'd, I'd like you to read our mail about our integrity gaps. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest um, ones that actually uh, is hard for us to connect the dots, but it is the fact that we have unresolved trauma. We've found over the work of 20 years between ministry, private practice, executive coaching, and working with a lot of high capacity leaders is that a majority of them have some sort of trauma from their younger years that never was resolved. Most trauma survivors kind of fall into two camps. We either become um, victims and keep getting re-victimized, or we become overachievers and will never be victimized again. And we become performers um, to be able to lay what we we would call marble on dry rot, Um, just Mm. kind of a continual Mm. layer of looking good and making sure that I keep people at bay and they won't, they won't go deeper. Um, And so that's what I found in my counseling office is 
uh, a spouse would bring um, a well-loved leader into my office or children start acting up, you know, in their teen years and mom and dad can't hold them together. And there's these unresolved traumas that need to be addressed. Um, The truth is, is that every change agent in the world has probably had a pretty horrific story of some sort. Um, And and that, again, we can push that towards doing poor, bad in the world, or we can really make change um, because we're not scared of hard. Um, That's part of the results of trauma. How how do you define trauma? Like, are you talking about the ACE test, the adverse childhood experience? Is it something else? How how would you define that? We define it a little more broadly in that it's anything out of the ordinary. So if you weren't supposed to lose your child and you lose your child, if parents aren't supposed like you mean in a crowd? Yeah, or, or, or to death. I mean, that. Oh, oh I, I get it. I, get, yeah, I, I didn't know marriage, what you meant. Okay. Falling apart, um, ending up in addiction, or having a spouse who's an addict. Um, anything uh, that's out of the ordinary. Losing a job, um, again, ministry uh, through just the change of economy. A lot of people having to shift right. their roles. So, right. so getting fired, getting furloughed, getting anything laid off. Unexpected, right? If I'm driving yeah. to work and I don't expect to be in a car accident, I get in a car accident, that's traumatic. What happens with the trauma is what turns into post-traumatic stress disorder. If, if I'm not finding care and comfort and been able to process it, then it will get stored in my body and cause all kinds of um, kind of ailments Mm -hmm. and different things that will leak out in funky ways. Maladaptive coping strategies. Yeah. You know, Gary, this is something that's not new to you is that, I mean, leaders minimize trauma all the time, right? And actually what we need to do is we need to get in touch actually. And it's part of a maladaptive coping strategy to overcome or achieve. How many times have you heard a leader say, well, that was my past and here's what I've done since then. Or Mm. how could my past be impacting Mm. my present? It's not. Mm -hmm. And I'll show you how it's not. Right. But yet that's a huge tell Mm -hmm. that they actually have unresolved trauma because they leak. We leak. We leak when things Mm -hmm. aren't addressed and, and, and worked As Tara described, trauma, the neuroscience is awesome. Just revealing what we've known as followers of Christ about God's design for our brains for so long. It's just so many cool things are happening right now. And what we know is is, is that trauma is stored in the body. And it takes, um, you know, that's why talk therapy sometimes doesn't work. It has to, you have to use some other tools um, that connect to the brain and the rewiring of the brain. Neuroplasticity is possible. It's incredible. Yeah. So that's the idea of the body keeps the score, right? My wife's reading that book right now. I'm sure it'll get to me eventually. Apparently it's quite dense. dense, So maybe maybe I'll get to page three and give up. I don't know. Um, But the whole idea, right, that these vague, undiagnosed or sometimes very diagnosed things can actually be uh, anchored in trauma, that mind-body connection. Um, Here's a question. I don't know if you can answer it or not, but it's because I've thought about this. And if you look over 400 episodes of this show, You'll see evidence of that. Do more overachievers end up in leadership than people who, because I, the way I would phrase it when I look, and this is like totally amateur opinion. So take it and turn it into your professional stuff. Okay. But like, I would, I would say when you have trauma, you either implode or you explode. You implode in that you succumb to addictions or I can't do anything right. And you kind of end up on the margins of life or you overachieve, right? You kind of explode and say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to succeed. I'm going to make something of myself. So you become the A student. You go on, you become a doctor, you become whatever, you become the CEO, the boss, and you're kind of compensating for that. So one kind of works for you. The other works against you. In the end, the unhealthy motivations all work against you. But do you think that leaders are 
overrepresented in that overachiever as a response to trauma? Or do you see victims in leadership as well? Or like, what do you, what do you see? Oh, that is a great question. I think that's um, spot on. And I, I actually think we see both in leadership, okay. but okay. majority probably would be the high capacity. Mm-hmm. Leaders are going to be the overperformers. Um, yeah. But again, in the definition that we have for leadership, if you've got a following, you're a leader. And so right. If you're imploding inwardly, you're going to be um, impacting everybody in your wake. Mm -hmm. So the the high capacity leaders, um, overachiever, overperformers can just smooth people. They're the ones that landed in my office. And the other counselor said, you guys are doing awesome. You seem to have life together. Why do you even need to be here? And I have a we have really strong sniffers because we're we we look the part. People always think we have it all together until you really get to know us. And then you're like, oh, yeah, they're kind of human, too. Um, but that idea of we have strong sniffers for the overachiever who's been able to fool everybody else and has the disconnection to their inner victim. The one that has all those voices in there that's saying you're messing up again. Nobody loves you if they knew all of those internal voices. Um, the only one that doesn't have those internal voices are really the true narcissists. Yeah. who really mm. are constantly mm. telling themselves they're pretty amazing in order to protect a little ego. And we can process that a little bit more, but we do see more and more narcissists in leadership today. Jeff, what does your sniffer tell you? How do you sniff out an overachiever? Because I look at like, I, I was like, I don't go to counseling. This is me in my early thirties. I don't go to counseling. I send people to counseling and look at how awesome things are going right now. And then I realize, oh, you're a train wreck, Newhoff. Like, shut up. How do, how do you smell that out? Well, one of the ways is just by what you just said, right? It's uh, arrogance is a chapter that we have in our book on a symptom uh, that leaders are vulnerable to. And, and we both would be vulnerable to that. Every leader at some point in time is going to be vulnerable to that mindset of my way is the best or my thinking is the best. I'm better than everyone else in that in their mind. They may never say that with their mouths, but um, motives are the tipping point. And so um, if you hear yourself or you get some feedback from some others that um, are beginning to just not get the things that you think that they're saying, uh, that you're saying to them and trans- transferring uh, information isn't, isn't working and it's becoming kind of a pattern, um, you might, we might look at a blind spot and begin to evaluate. And this is what's so important. We think that within high capacity leaders, for sure, those with the greatest influence on planet Earth right now, they must have at least two people that they that are not reporting to them, that are not resp- where their livelihoods are not attached to it, um, that are mature and healthy, and can um, that leader can receive influence from, um, actually receive influence from those types of people um, in order to stay grounded, to to stay rooted, to stay in reality, because every leader is going to be vulnerable to um, to believing, like Tara said, their own press into that arrogant mindset. You know, the sniffer comes also um, when leaders isolate. If I see a leader that is isolated Mm -hmm. and insulated from other people and not, you know, they have a hierarchical um, organizational structure um, which insulates them at the top and they have their, they have their commanders that you have to go through in order to get to them and you can never get to them. That's definitely a, that's definitely a red flag for us. Why is that? And um, it's that is not the best organizational best practice model. Um, we're we're seeing those tiers be deconstructed in the last, uh, uh, particularly the last fifteen years. And um, so isolation is another uh, red flag, a sniffer. Um, 
What else would you say? I would say, I'll talk about my own. As we were writing this book, Carrie, Mm. I came face to face Mm. with some of my own burnout. I was writing the burnout chapter and I'm talking about all the red flags of, again, thinking I'm, especially in the church at large leaders who think um, it's up to me. I'm doing good. Mm -hmm. This I'm dying to myself. I mean, those are kind of the, this is is kingdom work. Um, And we push, 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 push until our bodies break down. And again, the things that are being stored in the body are are fighting against us. And I, it was coming out in major irritation. And here I am writing a book on integrity. And I'm like, I'm the biggest fraud ever. Um, but I had to come face to face with um, just the my own humanity to say, I am doing too much. And I'm going to have to disappoint some people. And that goes against a lot of my lies that I fight yeah. to not disappoint anyone um, and to make sure that I can I can hold it. I can be the strong one. That's oftentimes what I hold. And I know a lot of leaders who are listening can resonate with that. You know, I can be the strong one here. But in turn, mm-hmm. I was hitting a wall and I needed to do some prevention work. And so I took a little sabbatical from working with clients so that I could really finish this book and do it well and stay married. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's one of my goals too. Yeah. just stay married, try, try to be yeah. happily married. But those are yeah. some of the things that you have in order to stay integrous is to yeah. say, OK, where am I right now? And yeah. and what are the things that are becoming patterns? OK, I can be irritable once in a while. That's being human. Sure. But when it's a pattern and I'm really annoyed with my family continually, I must be being too squeezed outside of my um, my capacity. And we've got kids and kids tell the truth, right? And, and you know, our soon-to-be 14-year-old daughter and 12-year-old daughters are, you know, here's an area, right, um, for us to decrease our integrity gap. We want to give the best to those that we love the most. That's mm-hmm. what we say. I say that about my wife. She says that about me. We say that about our daughters. How are we doing that, right? And so what we try to do is, is we try to, we're trying to practice what we preach here. And writing this book is, is as much for us as it is for anybody else. It's a built-in deterrent to, to do the things that we know what it takes in order to make it to the long haul. So asking our kids even, how am I, how am I influencing you right now? You know, or what was this last week like in our relationship for you? You know, questions like that and being willing to receive the feedback from them because we actually really care about having the kind of relationship that we talk about. We don't want to just talk about it. We want to have it. And what they say means a lot, bears a lot of weight, more weight than outside those concentric circles of priorities in our relationship with God, our marriage, our kids. A lot of things come then fall out in different order after that. And uh, so we're very much trying to be practitioners of this and taking it to the streets and sharing it, but really um, making sure that, that we're living it authentically and um we have people in our lives that can that are helping us do that right thank you shout out to our counselor deborah (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome what are some other signs that there might be an integrity gap you mentioned trauma you mentioned what just yes blind spot leadership itself is isolating i mean the more you go up in the tier of of leadership the more isolating it can be less people can relate there is a naturalness to that, though, right? And particularly when things start to scale, like when we had 20 people at our church, I was available and accessible to everyone. And it's not that hard, right? It's like, and I got time left over. It's not that hard. 
now, you know, with social media and then just with this podcast and the platform of, you know, almost 2 million leaders a month will access our content and you just get bombarded. So how, how do you not get isolated? Oh, good. I, I would say the key is who are those two or three people that get your time and are part of the inner circle who know so all of it. So you're not saying everyone should have it. You're just saying you can't have yeah. nobody. And have what it. happens is you start, uh, I'll just say I, in my own journey, as well as walking alongside many leaders, we start to become more mistrusting of people. The higher up we get, you know, what are they after? Do they really know me? Do they really want me? Are they going to criticize? Um, what do they want from me? You know, everybody wants something from me as a leader. Um, yeah. So knowing who yeah. those two or three people are, they get your time. And then it, we get to decide as a leader who gets the rest of our time. And so do not give it to the masses. And I think there mm. is wisdom. And that goes to the burnout chapter, right? There's wisdom on who gets my time and how can I make sure that I'm managing my time well. But we talk about survival. Um, we talk about narcissism. We talk about what is survival? What is survival? And then I do want to camp on on narcissism. Yeah. So our tagline for survival is that needs are a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we perpetuate that mindset in and outside the church in leadership all the time. And we may even, you know, it's it's kind of popular right now to talk about being a vulnerable or a servant (laughs) leader. I mean, Robert coined that term in the 70s. Um, And yet it's, you know, there's sort of popularity cycles of words and phrases that are sort of out there. Living it is a whole other story. We can talk about it. Books have been written, but living it. And yeah. so actually um, having appropriate vulnerability in your place of leadership, what does that do? When it's when a leader is appropriately vulnerable about what they're feeling, um, something that's happened culturally or that's impacting you know, production or sales or whatever it might be, um, when they're vulnerable appropriately to their people, they model that that's okay. It's mm-hmm. okay to be human. It's actually part of the antidote, if you will, to um, to the to to this vulnerability of survival mechanisms, right? Of of that we have a survival mentality, stepping in towards people, showing them how, and being that authentically is transformational. It will help others do likewise, and that impacts systems, that impacts homes, that impacts organizations. Um, for-profit, non-profit, I don't care where you're at. It's, it's, uh, it, it's powerful. So um, needs and, and having needs and, and not having uh, all the solutions all the time, people don't trust that anymore, right? When leaders come across mm-hmm. that way. Mm-hmm. Um, appropriate interdependent relationships is the key. Not codependent, not needing to air your laundry out all the time and trying to get your needs right. met in un- unhealthy right. ways. Yeah. We'd say that that's the sign of, of unhealthy leaders. Wholehearted leaders are trying to get their needs met from other people in unhealthy ways. So, so yeah, can you drill down on appropriate vulnerability? I, I think we could do a whole episode on that, but I'm just curious because you're right. People either underdisclose or they overdisclose, right? So there is no secret and everybody hears everything and it's like, ugh, you should, you know, that should be at your therapy session. That should not be from, you know, at the staff meeting or whatever that happened to be. And then others, it's like, I'm bulletproof. I have no issues and I'm not vulnerable at all. So where's appropriate vulnerability? It's, it's a fine line and a hard dance that we probably tip into each side of those things, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. As we're learning yeah. how to do that. Um, the airing out your um, 
story that's not yours to tell. I always say, you know, think about if I was telling a story and being vulnerable, has Jeff and I talked about this story? Does he trust that that we work through it or am I just throwing him under the bus in my vulnerability? Um, And being able to recognize, have I actually processed this with my inner circle yet Mm -hmm. before I'm doing this publicly, either with my organization or on social media, which is the younger (laughs) generations tend to start there first. Versus uh-huh. going into uh-huh. the person who actually really knows me really well. It is actually more vulnerable to go to my inner circle and to talk with them than to put it out on the table uh, with people who don't know me very well. Yeah. Um, and so there is an actual um, process that we need to go through first, orders of steps. Have I talked to God about this? Right. Have I talked to my inner circle? Mm-hmm. And then I can bring it into my organization and modeling that. Um when I'm, I think the other appropriate vulnerability is again, normalizing emotions. Like if right. we're going through something globally, like we are right now, <laughs> just being able to yeah. acknowledge like, this is hard. It's hard for me right now to go through the holidays um, with, with a, in a pandemic. It's, it's, there's a lot of losses. That's a global um, humanity piece versus being like, I'm fine. No big deal. What, why are you making a big deal about this? That's that hard hearted um, yeah. lack of vulnerability. That's unhealthy everybody else never want to share anything with you ever. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about narcissism? You're saying it's on the rise. I heard you say that. So how do you know you're a narcissist? <laughs> what? <laughs> narcissist will never, uh, a true narcissist will never um, ask themselves that question. They, ever. They but wait, but wait, I, this is probably about me. So let's continue. No, I'm kidding. That was a bad joke. But Yeah, we'll yeah. just, I'll start maybe by saying that narcissism is a spectrum. And every leader, every leader type, right, might find themselves on there, hopefully on the on the softer, earlier side of that spectrum, where we have a tendency to believe our ideas are the best or our innovations or our thoughts yeah. or what have you, right? So that's a, that's a real subtle, subtle side that we just need to be aware of and, and, and uh, address and have some positive deterrence in our world to keep us from moving further down that spectrum. Uh, true narcissistic personality disorder. Um, what's been what's being discovered now is that there's it's it's widely undiagnosed and there's more of those type of leaders in every segment of society in leadership than we would ever know, and it's starting to become more known. And um, people have written begin to written write about this, and we're taking a stab to kind of address the fact that it's a, it's a real issue both in and outside the church. Our heartbeat, of course, is for inside um, inside the church, capital C. Um, wherever it yeah. may be found, but yeah. um, there's predatory uh, behavior and that's the nar- narcissistic personality disorder where there's really no empathy. They, they, they cannot literally see themselves of having done anything wrong. Um, their brains are. So no empathy for others. You see yourself as, well, I'm, there's nothing wrong okay. with me. It's always okay. you. It's that's always right. going to be you. Yeah. And, and mm. it really gets locked in between ages, what, two and f- two to four. Two, yeah, they're little two-year-old um, in terms of an emotional yeah. Uh, arrest. Yeah, yeah, and that and that can get played out, of course, if you're dealing with a say a senior pastor or a CEO who is in their fifties or sixties, uh-huh. um, and they've been living in that space, um, getting their needs met in unhealthy ways, and using everyone around them for all that all those decades. That is really, really difficult. You can look at the wake behind a leader like that, and you can see the carnage. Um, yeah. 
Unfortunately, yeah. any other signs? Any other signs yes. that you're a narcissist? The signs that you're a narcissist, um, you tend to uh, defend every decision that you ever make. If somebody disagrees with you um, over time, then you will start to make them out to be the enemy. And you'll see a pattern with narcissistic leaders mm -hmm. that their staff doesn't stick around very long mm -hmm. or they get booted out and then they go start over in a very completely different community or sector um, to find a new group of people who will think they're amazing. Most narcissists are pretty um, charismatic and, and know how to woo people into their inner circle. And they attract actually those victim right. type trauma survivors. Uh, and it's a really icky wow. system. And so we're just trying to speak out to say, hey, we need to start being a little more thoughtful about who we're putting in places of leadership, mm -hmm. just being mm -hmm. wooed by people's mm -hmm. charisma and their talents. Um, it can it can be really dangerous. Now, all of us who are leaders. Oh, did you? No, no, you keep going. I, I, I'm just really yeah. reacting. <laughs> this is good. This is good. You're making me think. Of, of moving down that continuum. But I would say um, the true NPD does not ever ask, like, am I a narcissist? Right. They don't and care. and right. they don't really care. And they use people as a means to an end. Yeah. So you'll see this um, pattern happening. And, and many who are listening have been in those systems, right, where that leader can do no wrong. And they, they, the people who think they're amazing are in their inner circle. Um, but over time, people start to see the true colors and um, those people will turn to enemies right away. So healthy, wholehearted leaders who have a little bit of narcissism in it will hear feedback. We're right, willing to get, right, yeah. um, we're willing to say, okay, I can grow there. To Thank you influenced. for that. Um, I keep people in my inner circle and in my outer circle who are willing to give me um, honest feedback. And I have to work really hard to not let it impact my identity. Um, but a narcissist just has a really fragile ego. So, so they need everybody to think they're amazing. I think we did an interview with Ern McManus. Uh, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. But we had an interesting conversation about narcissism. And I don't know if there was in that or somewhere else I was reading, but it's like 30% of C CEOs and lead pastors may qualify as narcissists clinically. Uh, it's, a, it's a stupidly high percentage. You said something, and that's what made me react. That was my face a few minutes ago about um, selecting, like, is there a selection process when you're interviewing staff? Like, are there questions you can ask? Is there a process you can lead them through that would help you identify someone who maybe has highly narcissistic tendencies? Because I agree, they can be very dangerous team members, board members, um, you know, whether it's your senior leader or whether it's somebody on the executive team, that can derail an organization. It sure can. We, we're huge advocates for and actually working with a number of churches, for example, or organizations, particularly the churches, that, to, to help them to expand their timelines and deepen their vetting mm. processes. Mm. You know, we've tried to do that in our own process here with, uh, within our organization, Living Wholehearted, and, and have like a five-tier step of candidacy that is asking hard questions. Mm. And not assuming. We make so many assumptions and we, mm. you know, where there's needs and there are needs everywhere, we try to fill seats so fast. And, mm. and we do mm. so at our own peril many, many times, putting people in positions before they're ever ready to handle influence and authority and power. And it's not that they can't, it's that they're not ready yet, perhaps. But there are those predatory narcissists that are out there that are looking, that are looking to get into access where they can abuse. And 
you know, Glenn Ball and Daryl Poles, they wrote a, a powerful book mm, that, and they're so really great. on the forefront of this research for church leaders and the plague narcissism. That's what the, their book is. Let us pray P R E Y. And the subtitle is the plague of narcissist pastors and what we can do about it. I highly, we highly recommend yeah. it. And we, we, we leverage some mm. of their research mm. indicating just how big of a problem it is in the church actually. And their research came from one denomination up in your, your territory yeah. in Canada. And oh, wow. overwhelming oh, wow. how much, how many pastors fell into their and met the criteria for NPD undiagnosed. Well, I think I'm going to have to read yeah, that book. It's, it's a necessary read. Um, the other thing, we tell a story right off the start in our book about our first ministry experience. Jeff was underneath a pastor who actually ended up being a professional embezzler in the end. And one of the things that they didn't do and perceive, I mean, they gave him the entire rights to the entire church, a small church in Seattle. Um, but he was the one signing all the checks and he had 100% control over the church's finances. His main part of his story was the past was this past. Lord had, had forgiven him and there was no track record. Nobody could find out his history. And this um, church that believed deeply in grace and forgiveness uh, accepted his story as is. And so it seems so like, oh, we don't do that in our organization. But I would say majority of the process of hiring, particularly in Christian organizations, we aren't asking people's stories. There are HR human resources laws in place that we have to be careful there. But there is a part of knowing someone's character, knowing um, why they aren't working at other places. And a narcissist will be really good at skewing the story that they're always the victim in every situation. Mm -hmm. And I want to mm -hmm. hear what part did they play? How did they grow? What did they learn from that? What did they participate in? Mm -hmm. um, and not just uh, singing their praises. But you'll hear that if, if someone truly has a record of harming, mm -hmm. um, you'll see a wake in their path. And we have to do due diligence to go check that out. Yeah. Well, I think there's a good, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine this plays out over the entire spectrum. So it tends to make the news or we tend to hear stories when there's a, you know, someone who led something large, large company, large church, mega church, you know, narcissist or has an affair or whatever. But this is actually happening in every size organization, every size community um, is, right. is that fair? Yeah, it's fair. Every, every segment of society, yeah. you're finding this. That's right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. just because, so just because you're a church of 50 doesn't mean, 50 you, doesn't mean you won't be led by a narcissistic leader. By a narcissistic Absolutely. leader. Yeah, those, yeah. those that are truly yeah. like that are looking for the vulnerable scenarios where they can, where mm. they can set up their plan mm. and they can, they literally are very strategic. They have to be. So are, is this a plan? So are, is this, this is a plan? plan? Like this yeah. is like intentional. That's right. Intentional. Many, for many NPD is very intentional. And uh, they, they literally are, what are they, what are they doing? They are looking to get their needs met in unhealthy ways. They're going to do that very strategically because, and have backup to backups to their backups so that if they're caught, their, their initial backup will hopefully cover. Right. So they look, right. they look to, they right. look for vulnerable people who, who are going to be less believable. They think if, if they they testify or share that they were abused or whatever, fill in the blank because they were marginalized in society in general or what have you. They, they get very strategic Gosh. about keeping up the, the appearance. And this happens to be just sort of one of our areas of wheelhouse. And we've worked with those in the predatory narcissistic spectrum and, mm. but mostly they're victims. Yeah. And that's who's come through our doors for 20 years.
So the predatory narcissistic personality disorder, then they know they're doing this. They're like, this is part of their plan. They're like, okay, so this is premeditated, which also leads to the integrity gap when you think, okay, so this is a person who's likely to take money or to pursue women or men or like, do these things run together? They're all linked. And when you think about the core needs of humans and how they want to get those needs met in unhealthy ways, right? Yeah. Their needs yeah. weren't met yeah. when they were in that two to four age range. And whatever their story is, there's that's the bottom line is that emotional needs, maybe more, weren't met. So they had to get those needs met in other ways by themselves. And to insulate and protect their little their small egos and to survive a survival mechanism, they started preying on others to get those needs met, using others to meet those needs. And yet... If we think of the spectrum, and I guess that's the more extreme situations, right. and they are everywhere, Carrie. So um, we wow. honestly wow. see it more and more and more and are trying to call attention to it to yeah. say, hey, we need to work together to not let these leaders be the ones that keep leading um, our organizations. <laughs> but on the other side, all of us fall in a spectrum of trying to get our God-given needs right. in unhealthy ways. That's and right. I think that's one of our warnings. Yeah. yeah, there's a much more, a much less malevolent side of that too. Whereas I'm not necessarily going to prey on you, but I really need you to like this. And I really need you to tell me that I did a good job. So it's not, there's no, no offense there. It's just dysfunctional. That's what you're saying. And I think that's the more sobering kind of place for all of us to just keeping that in check and making sure what is the need? What do I really need because of my unmet childhood needs? We didn't all become narcissists, but what am I trying to get need met? Do I need to be liked? Do am I trying to find significance? Am I trying to find love, um, intimacy? And then how do I do that in healthy ways versus unhealthy ways? And that's where it becomes more innocent and less premeditated. And And unconscious. Paying attention to that. Paying attention to that pull, though, takes it from the unconscious to the conscience. Like, why Mm. am I feeling this Mm. right now? Why, why, why did I have such a negative feeling about that conversation I just had with the coworker? Like, what, what, what was that? Where is that? And trace it back, learning to trace it back to, am I believing a lie about myself? Am I believing something that isn't true and weighing that and getting objective about um, what's going on inside? Not just in your mind, but in your body even. Like, I didn't even know my triggers. We talked about trauma and triggers. I didn't know what my triggers were until like 10 years ago, actually, which seems so funny. But um, I clench my jaw and I do this with my hands. And Tara was like, well, I know you clench your jaw, you do this with your hands. And I, that was a trigger for me when I was beginning to slip into that kind of anxiety space or stress that would lead to conflict strategy. And, and knowing that about myself, it's connected to some trauma stuff that I had to work through and just make a connection on. Integrating that allows me to catch myself quicker now. And we want to help leaders to learn to notice what that what's going on in their bodies, right? So that they can do what we call regulating. That's in, 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 the, in the clinical world, just a great term, regulating. We, every adult right now needs to be working on that. Every kid needs to be working on that. And, and as we do that, we grow and mature so that we aren't trying to get our needs met from yes. others in unhealthy ways. Mm. This is so rich. Any other signs you want to cover? Um, well, there's uh, several more. Not that all of our mail hasn't been read to some level so far. You know, one of the things that we all can relate to is the guilt and toxic shame. Um, Oh, yeah. I want to talk about about shame and and guilt. You know, again, the further we get where our um, outside life looks really great, 
and our inner life hasn't been addressed, that gap gets larger and larger. And we start Mm. to feel um, that shame voice um, gets louder and louder. And it is the enemy. The enemy loves to use shame to keep us apart from God's grace and his love Mm. and to to keep continuing to remind us um, that we're not worthy. But that is something that is a small, um, subtle voice. We often shove it aside, but learning how to listen to when a conviction of when I did something wrong and I need to go make it right, that is the power of our faith. And when it's a, like, I can't admit I'm wrong because um, I could look like a fool and you won't love me or like me or I'll lose my position. So guilt and toxic shame is definitely coming from a um, unaddressed inner life. And we don't have to live with it. It doesn't have to be a part of our everyday leadership. Can guilt and shame be healthy? Good question. Very good question. There's Um, a difference, right? So, Yeah, because I'm thinking like if I'm really nasty to a coworker or my wife, hopefully I do feel a little bit guilty and a bit ashamed of my behavior. And it leads me to apologize. It leads me to change. It leads me to repentance. But you're also talking, on the other hand, about just this the shame and you know toxic guilt that isn't helpful. So I'm, yeah, I'm just conviction curious. is another way of me that a person might feel when they've wronged something, yeah. right? Yeah. And we want yeah. that, right? And we know that God wants that, and that's His Holy Spirit in us, those that follow Him and have the Spirit in our lives, right? And that's different. That's that's like much more than all of us as, as humans have as as uh, conscience. It's, it's, it's so much more than that. Right. Um, and that is good. And that, you know, in, in the scriptures, we, we, we understand that the spirit's function is to remind us of everything that Jesus has taught us. That means that hopefully we've been reading and learning. And, and so in the, those moments, we sense that conviction, that healthy, that healthy guilt conviction to, to go and repair yeah. totally different, right. than the shame, toxic shame. And, Toxic shame is an attack on our identities, right? And, and this is both in the clinical and the biblical um, integration here, right? Ident- uh, identity work. Um, toxic shame says, you. It, it's a message like this, well, you always do that. Mm-hmm. Or how, right, can you, how come you right. can't fix this again? You, 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 you're, you're always going to be a loser or a <laughs> failure, right? And that's the kind of toxic shame that God just says he... Yeah that's going to go. I'm going to help you get rid of that because what you need to hear is you need to hear my voice. And it's his voice that matters. What he says about himself and what he says about us is the antidote to toxic shame. And the more we believe God. that, God. the more we we take and pull the lies that come out that are tied to our trauma usually, and we can separate those lies and start rejecting those lies. And the muscles of accepting um, the identity and the healthy identity of who we are is based on who he says we are, yeah. um, become stronger. And that's, that's a very practical everyday kind of yeah. challenge. Yeah. So really, I, I, I just have to summarize cause I want to, not because you didn't say anything beautifully, but just that sense of guilt being healthy, guilt being about our behavior and toxic shame being about our identity. And so I did something wrong versus I am bad and I'm never fixable. So, Right. Okay. That's such a helpful distinction. Yeah. Because on the one hand, you can see some people who would say, well, you shouldn't feel shame for anything. That's just who you are. And I'm like, no, there's some stuff I need to own here. Right. And uh, that's a helpful distinction. I want to circle back to the whole branding platform thing. So there's a lot of young leaders listening here. 
And as a guy in my 50s, you know, most of the leaders who listen to this podcast are in their 20s and 30s, and there's a share of 40 and 50 and older, et cetera, but a lot of young leaders listening here. And I noticed the pressure. Like when I was in my 20s, there was no social media. Um, I didn't have a brand. Uh, we were lucky to figure out how to brand our church. And I mean, that was so like it was the Neolithic <laughs> period, pretty much of branding, right? Like we didn't. <laughs> What's that, Jeff? <laughs> The mission statement, right? Exactly. But I've, I've watched this catch on and now couples have logos and looks and we're in the era of face filters and like there are a few people I follow on, on, on Instagram and I'm like, I don't know what you actually look like because there's always a filter. There's all, it's like, whoa. And like, I'm, yeah, I, I have more wrinkles than I did last year and I don't always match. And, you know, I kind of am fairly comfortable showing my imperfections, but that we're moving into a very different world very quickly. I'd, I'd love for you to talk about that. What is there an upside? Like, is there an upside, uh, there an upside to branding? Is that your well? No, well, no, is there an upside to that kind of pressure on yourself to project this perfect public no. image? And I actually yeah. think there, yeah. I don't think there's an upside. I think it is um, part of the the destruction on our identity right. and our our sense of community yeah. and commitment to one another to say I love you and with all of who you are warts and all um but the other piece to what you're saying is I see with the younger generation and we're in our 40s so we're kind of in the in between there of what you're talking right. about but right. the um the idea that there's this vulnerability that you put out but it's it's totally opposed yeah. um, <laughs> Opposed vulnerability. That's a great so phrase. That calling that vulnerability, but I know it took you five hours to get that picture just right. Like it's not the true raw. So that's the part that I kind of laugh is that there's a younger, there's this longing for real and authenticity, yeah. and yet it still has to come through as a brand and and with beauty, and and it just is becoming so complex. And I think that pressure. It, it's difficult to be in social media and to not get um, squeezed by all that pressure. And so I think we have to be honest with our own vulnerabilities. I have a tendency towards addictions, meaning I see it in my family of origin. I see it in myself. I mean, I remember in high school loving the, the poker games and I'm like, I should not go to Vegas because this is like the real deal. I really um, thrive on risk-taking in those kinds of ways. So I have to be careful. Um, and social media, I can fill the pool. So I didn't get on until this last year, right. not because I didn't think um, there's a place for it, but I know my vulnerabilities. And the reason I'm on it now is very different than what I would have been on 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So if you can do it, um, or maybe there's some protocols that we have to put in place where we have somebody else do it for us. That's what we did for years where somebody mm -hmm. else is doing our, our social media. But the pressure is not healthy. It's killing our souls and it's killing our relationships. And that's my little soapbox there. So asking the question, why, why am I engaging yeah. anything yeah. is actually, it just, let's bring critical thinking back right, oh, to the human yeah. race, please. And, and <laughs> if we ask ourselves and myself included, why, why am I doing this? And there's a good reason, a purposeful reason that's, that makes good logic sense or will add good. And, and you can back that up over time or people, if you were audited per se, you know, theoretically, that you'd be guilty of, of, of seeing a track record of, of goodness and of, of building others up in a meaningful connection and yeah. right. Okay, great. Then step in. And we're not, we, we are real 
fans and rooting for are the the generations that are beneath us right now and we're we yeah, are walking too. with yeah, them we are not patronizing we are not laughing every generation has its quirks man we want to see this generation and our kids and those i mean right now the millennials are leading our children right now our two girls we got skin in this game we want to yeah, see yeah. them thrive yeah yeah and yet, in order for them to do that, because our offices in confidence are full of that generation, it's the only safe space they have to process and to say, I didn't have this modeled to me. How do I, how do I engage when I'm in letdowns or when people, um, when, when I was let go in an office scenario or in a workspace, like we, we were having to help um, reparent in many cases. And now they're parents and they're also coming in right to try to figure out yeah. how to do this better yeah. for their kids and so we are rooting for them we are in there and we need as many mentors and people as possible to come alongside in healthy ways not to say hey we're perfect follow us but to say in our imperfection fo follow us walk with us together here's as what we we've learned Christ. as we follow cards right yeah no i'm i'm really grateful for the conversation and i would say i'm 100% committed to the next generation and the generations beyond. Uh, I'm a huge fan, not a critic. But I do wonder, having a long pre-digital memory, just because of when I was born, like, you know, the platform and the pressure of leadership is hard enough where you feel you need to be one way on stage, but are you really that way behind stage? But now we all have a stage. It's called our phones. And I'm watching even the evolution in leaders in their teens and 20s. It's like I see that kind of influence come to them early. Uh, I've watched, you know, people I've followed for a few years kind of morph where, boy, you seem more real three years ago and now everything's curated and branded and perfect. And I don't know, does that, does that kill the soul at some point? Like, is this, because ultimately we're still humans, right? This is what I'm trying to drive at. This is very, like very philosophical, but like, at the end of the day, we're just like human beings who mess up, who are in need of grace. Like, are we headed to some kind of flashpoint or crisis generationally on that stuff? Because I'm a, I'm a Gen X, but like, you know, the 80s were very hyper techno music. And then the Gen X answer was grunge, right? So you got the whole grunge scene out of where you are, you know, Portland and Seattle and yeah, the whole better. deal. And it was the opposite of the 80s. And I almost see us going in that direction. Music's so hyper-produced, everything's so curated, everything's so perfect. And like, are we just going to implode under that pressure? I just, end of rant. I'd love yeah. for you to see, I, what you, I, see what you say. I, I'll let you put in, because I know you know you Go have uh, an opinion on this, but mm -hmm. um, I think it's killing our souls. It's also killing yeah. our brains. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, honestly, mm -hmm. we are more ADD, uh, technology-induced. We can't pay attention to one another, let alone look each other in the eyes. Um, yeah. Getting back, it's yeah. why we wrote this book for this next generation to say, there are some basic things that still are important, regardless of the times that have changed. Mm -hmm. And character matters more than charisma and branding. Mm -hmm. And though we have created a culture and it started back in the 60s and 70s, that's been slow uh, decline to a charisma and, and how you present yourself. And so what happens when I'm disconnected from who you see me to be and who I really am, it will eventually leak. And those 20, 30 somethings were saying you're headed towards a road of moral failure. That is where you're going. And so you've got to have a united, an integrous life is one that's where everything is connected. 
So who I present myself to be on social media needs to also match out uh, who I present myself to be with my husband. Yeah, would your spouse recognize you? Would your best friend yeah. recognize you? Right? That's, that's yeah. a yeah. simple message. So it's not yeah. social media, good or bad. It's just, is there congruency in your life and integration? Or are you feeling so fragmented because we cannot live like that? God didn't design us that way. Yeah, yeah and I'll just echo that to say, go back to original design, okay? And we have limits in our yeah. finite bodies, <laughs> in our finite days, 24 hours a day. No one can add an hour to that. Um, yeah. And there are limits. And when we learn to operate in love, actually love the limits um, in our lives practically, um, that and every person has different limits. Okay. So there's, right. So some people I can think of in my life are, I would say, maybe in the top five energy of the world. <laughs> and th they wear me out when I just even hear them talk about what they did in a given first hour of their day, you know. So their limits are different than my limits, but they have mm. limits too, and they need to be aware of their limits, and so do I. And learning to love those limits and mm. create sustainable systems that allow me to be the best version of who I am, not just who I want you to see me to be, but actually who I am, and that that be consistent over time, because okay. time is the great equalizer here. You cannot fool somebody for, um, for, for uh, uh, over lifetimes. Um, yeah. Everyone, you can't fool everyone, right? So time, consistent over time, matching audio, matching the video, um, people that you would say that you care about the most, that they would say that they know that you who you are and that you are a work in progress and you're, you are mostly the same person at home that you are out on the stage or um, in the stadium or wherever you might be, right? Those are the, yeah. those are very important things. And if you're not, Carrie, there's grace for that. It's the honesty, oh, yeah. right? It's oh, just yeah. to say, okay, I'm not doing it. Now I need to take some steps uh, to start shrinking that gap because it's it's a heavy burden to live disconnected. Oh, my gosh. And the energy oh. that you recoup oh. when you start shrinking your integrity gap that you can apply to things that really matter. You People come alive. You see it in their faces. Mm -hmm. You see mm -hmm. it in them. You hear it in their voice. They're starting to slow down to a tune not just to get their own needs met, but they're now interested in you. You know, tell me more about you mm. and tell me about your mm. day. And it feels like that. That's a, that's a feeling that every human wants. They want mm. people to be able to do that for them. And it, it requires you to be able to do that also. <laughs> wow. And I, I just want to say to younger leaders listening, we're 100% and all leaders, we're 100%. I am 100%. I know you guys are on your side. And um you know, I'm, I'm thinking about what Tim Keller often says, that the gospel in a nutshell is fully known, fully loved. And we think that if we are going to be fully loved, we can't be fully known. And so I got to present an image of myself to you that will make you love me. Or, you know, I, I, I just won't be fully loved. And, and the truth of the gospel is, no, you're fully known. You're fully loved. And I think that's where you guys are driving um, we did a really good job, I think, of sort of explaining where the gaps are uh, and people should get your book. What, what are a couple of, of steps that people are like, uh-oh, some stuff got identified today. What do I do? Like, I know this is a complicated for me. It's an ongoing multi-year journey, so multi-decade journey. So I realize it's not like, oh, just take this pill. You'll be fine in the morning. What, what, First what of all, do you I'll do? just say welcome to the club, right? <laughs> welcome to the, human, welcome to the yeah. human leader club, right? Yeah. And and those that are working to try to be 
really to try to be the kinds of leaders that they would want to follow. Right. And right. So I'll start yeah, there. Right. What do you okay. got? What do you got? Yeah. I'll put my counselor hat on and I would just say, <laughs> let's start with your story. Do you know your story? Uh, I, I was classic leader uh, seen very early on with skills and gifts. And I was just put on the treadmill and nobody ever took time to understand my story, nor did I know to even talk about my story. I might tell a you know, moment in time, uh, uh, something happened, but when do we actually get to walk through our timeline? So in the book, we process, hey, you need to take time to know your story from zero to now. And for those that have lived a long time, it, it feels a little more exhausting and that's just the reality of it. But um, everything in your story is playing out today. And and that is part of understanding your themes and your lies and the, and the lessons and the principles, uh, your convictions, so do you know your story? Your so I would say start there and you'll probably, I remember doing my timeline in a linear fashion for the first time and realizing, oh my goodness, I moved a lot out of the ordinary. Not something mm-hmm. I would have called traumatic, but I realized I was living out of a detached place with people because I had Same. learned Same. how to adapt quickly in all the moves that I had as a young girl and I started to realize it was a small trauma in my story, and I needed to give some grace to that. And then I had to learn, how do I actually stay rooted and planted and actually go deeper in relationships? Because I'm really going to make new friends. But, you know, past a few years, I don't know what to do past that. So it's things like that in our story when you listen to it in a linear way. So start with your story and start with sharing it with a counselor or a friend or a spouse, just one other person, and see if you can start to hear the themes. I know that God shows us. Um, a lot of the the lies that we tend to lean towards and some of the beautiful, unique parts of who we are and we see our limits. We can learn a lot about ourselves through just understanding our story. Yeah. And as Tara was saying, doing this in relationship is so key, right? Mm. You know, like a narcissist won't ever do that. <laughs> they're not interested unless they're doing it to actually try to, um, to get you to a certain place that yeah. they want to get you to. That's why narcissists would pretend, pretend to be vulnerable. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, walk with someone in this process whom you trust mm-hmm. and say, hey, look, I'm, I want to grow. I want to grow in my leadership. I want to become more of the leader that I would follow. I want to be more wholehearted. And I know that you do too. Would you do this with me? Would you walk through this work with me and, and, and look at these chapters and let's identify some vulnerabilities and let's talk them through. And that might meet, that might need to be, that might lead to, to counseling, right? It, it doesn't yeah. have to, doesn't have to. Um, yeah. but there's powerful um, transformation that takes place in relationship with one other person where you can agree, right. To be vulnerable and trust that it's not going to be used against you. And, and, um, and then gosh, when a leader gets this and models that vulnerability in a healthy way, they want to take that to the people in their spheres of influence. Right. And to, to especially, right. We love our pastors, Bill and Kathy, you know, they wrote the forward to this and they just were like, gosh, I resonate with chapters three, four, seven, nine, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and to take that to, to somebody in a relationship, a young emerging leader and say, look, let me tell you my story, but I also want to hear your story. And let me help you with um, some spaces that I'd identified in these chapters that might save you some time, heartache, and, and energy. Um, if if you if you're willing to hear that, are you? Would you Would you like to do that with me? You know, it's as simple as that, mm. actually. Mm. Wow, that's been a great, great, great journey. And I just hope that this feels like help and hope to leaders listening who feel trapped. I think about how I would have heard this at 35; it would have felt very threatening. 
Uh, but 20 years later, it, it feels very comforting, actually, <laughs> to, to have this conversation. So people are going to want to learn more. Tell us about the book, where they can find you online. We'd, we'd love to Absolutely. know Absolutely. Uh, it's called Shrinking the Integrity Gap Between What Leaders Preach and Live. You can find it anywhere that retailers um, sell books. If you want to follow, I'm the only one on social media, so you can follow me at Tara Matson, T-E-R-R-A. You can also follow us at Living Wholehearted, and we have a podcast called the Living Wholehearted Podcast, where we unpack just all of the places that we lead and our leadership impacts in the homework and community. And so we'd love Mm -hmm. to be able to have you join us in this movement to shrink our integrity gap. Love it. Thank you so much, Jeff and Tara. Really appreciate you. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. Um, and uh, and I, I hadn't spent any time with Jeff and Tara prior to this. So it was an absolute delight to kind of go all the places we went to. And yeah, I share their concerns for integrity and leadership. And I just want you to know that I am as committed to you as a person as I am to you as a leader. And that's why we try to bring you wide ranging conversations like this. In the What I'm Thinking About segment, which is coming up in just a second, I am going to talk about uh, how to build your integrity, something that I have given a lot of thought to, and I'll just offer uh, five keys at least that have really helped me. And then, uh, yeah, we've got show notes for you. So if you want more, including some of the links to what we talked about, you can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 386. And um, coming up next time, we're going to hear from Harris III, another a fun conversation Uh, This is someone who traveled the world as a teenage illusionist, making a million dollars by age 21, lost it all by age 22, ran into some cynicism as a young leader. And then at around age 30, he learned to recapture wonder. Okay, don't we all need that heading into a brand new year? So here's an excerpt from what's coming up next. I had certainly lost the magic. You know, I'd seen the wonders of the world. I'd seen, I'd walked the Great Wall of China. I'd seen the Taj Mahal. I had stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls. I'd seen the pyramids in Egypt three times on tours in the Middle East. And what took me to those wonders of the world was my ability to make other people wonder, was to awaken their wonder. But yet I'd lost my wonder that permitted me to see the magic. So I was ready to quit. And as I'm laying on the couch, I look down at the living room floor and I see a little nine-month-old boy that my wife had given birth to nine months previously. And it's not that I hadn't seen Jude, my son, at nine months old, but I'd yet to see the world through his eyes, through his lens. Man, he saw magic everywhere. And, and I remember having this aha moment of like, it's all right here in front of my face. It, the magic is in the mundane things. And then guess what's happening in 2021? We've got Andy Stanley, Patrick Lencioni, Rob Palinka, GM of the Lakers. We've got uh, Seth Godin just confirmed, John Cotter, Craig Grishel. It's going to be an incredible year. Uh, so excited. Subscribers, if, if you subscribe to this, it's free. And then it automatically shows up. Would love to have you subscribe if you're a new listener. And to all the new listeners who have joined us in 2020, Um, Yeah, we're going to have some fun little things we're going to do for you. Just some freebies. It's been a hard year. Um, We're just going to come alongside you. If you haven't yet actioned the Church Leader Toolkit, there is still a little bit of time to do that. You can go to churchleadertoolkit.com. Got some other stuff coming for you as well. Now it's time for what I'm thinking about. This uh, section is brought to you by the Dwell app. You can get the audio Bible app today by going to dwellapp.io slash carry and get 20% off an annual or lifetime subscription. And by Pushpay and Church Community Builder, who have combined 
to give you church stack, which will help you increase connection and encourage giving. You can go to pushpay.com forward slash carry for more on that. So how do you build your integrity? You know, it's one thing to shrink the integrity gap, but how do you build your integrity? And uh, that's something I've really thought about a lot, particularly since I burned out. Uh, again, I know I keep coming back to it's like my life existed before burnout than after burnout. But uh, was I, when I was in the pit, I kind of realized, oh, this is how you end up having an affair. This is how you end up doing things. When you get in a really dark place like that, it's not good. So what, what I've done over the last 15 years is just asked myself some questions and pursued some disciplines that help. You know, we all have some level of integrity gap, things we hoped we would do that, you know, we didn't do or things we said we were going to do that that just didn't happen. But here's what I like to do. And, and step one for me is just be ruthlessly honest with myself. And I think that's where you can start because of all the lies you tell, the ones you tell yourself are the most deadly. And, you know, I might say, oh, I'm doing really great, but, but I'm not. Or, <laughs> you know, I might say my motives are really pure, but they're mixed. Uh, and and that really, if 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 you know, if you're the person a person who prays, a leader who prays, as I am, uh, that'll add a lot to your confession time when you kind of realized, oh, I really was not very good in that interaction. So just be ruthlessly honest with yourself. That's step one. Number two, seek wise counsel. Oh my goodness, the longer I lead, the more I realize I'm only as good as the people around me. And so you don't need a lot, but even three or four people who really believe in you, ask them for feedback on your life that can really help. A uh, third thing is stop pleasing people. Try instead to honor God. I know that sounds like super spiritual and everything. And what does that actually mean? But what it does mean is you're going to get a thousand voices around you saying you should do this or you should do that. At the end of the day, I want the people closest to me to be the people most grateful for me, to have the best experience of me. And I also want to, I really believe I'm going to have to give an answer to God one day. And I want that to be a good experience. So I really want to try to honor God in what I do and sometimes that means, you know, playing the long game, taking the high road, uh, doing the right thing is almost never the easy thing, but it's always the best thing. And then a fourth thing you can do is be appropriately transparent. We all like to pretend that we are something we're not. And I find by admitting my shortcomings um, appropriately to like counselors and my wife and people around me who know me really well. And then also publicly, right? I, I think you'll find, I hope you'll find that I'm fairly transparent in um you know, what's going well, what's not going well. And I think that kind of transparency, it, it avoids you putting yourself on a, pe a pedestal because a lot of leaders do that, right? It's like, I got this bulletproof plan to like, no, you don't. You're not bulletproof. Um, okay, it's counterintuitive to really admit your shortcomings, but it's also very transformative. And you don't have to tell everyone what you're struggling with. That can be highly inappropriate, but you do need to tell someone. And then finally, and this is a big one, and I know this is going to sound really weird uh, to some of you, but put yourself first when it comes to personal growth. You know, leadership requires you to give a lot, give, 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 give. But I am selfish when it comes to personal growth. My own time with God in the morning, um, going for a run, going for a bike ride, taking care of my health, having enough time to process what is going on around me, both in my work and also in my life. And that means I'll often spend multiple hours at this point alone, processing things, praying through things, you know, going for a run, um, even, even like reading books that aren't necessarily tied to what I'm going to do. Like that kind of personal growth, taking time off, that is what fills you and fuels you because you can't give what you don't have. And if I am not spending that time on the front end, I'm going to spend it on the back end. And where will you spend it? Well, you would spend it in rehab 
or you would spend it in intensive counseling to recover from some bad mistake that you just made. And so I'd rather put the time in up front and say, okay, I'm going to get really honest with myself. I'm, I'm going to have some good people around me speaking in to my life. And so I put myself first when it comes to personal growth, which ironically, and this is, this is the counterintuitive twist, makes you better at what you do publicly. All right. Because if I'm preaching from an empty well, if I'm doing this from a place where I'm just exhausted all the time, I'm not going to serve you well. I'm not going to be a good husband. I'm not going to be a good dad. I'm not going to be a good friend. So if your cup is empty, how are you going to fill anyone else's? So those are some things that have helped me. Uh, And again, not bulletproof. Don't always get this right. But I find when I do those things well, things tend to go better. Hope this helped you. Can't wait for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you found this time rich and that it helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.